Hi everyone, it's Obi Abuchi here with the Leading From Your Core podcast and vodcast. This show is dedicated to helping leaders all around the world discover leadership, wisdom, stories and insights that will enable you to tap into the power of leading from the inside out. And I'm delighted to welcome on the show, Roleke Akikungbe Filani, all the way from Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, she is an award-winning infrastructure and energy executive with more than 15 years experience of successfully helping to finance and scale businesses across Africa. She's currently the chief commercial officer of the leading infrastructure developer, Mixture Africa, she serves on various boards, is a highly sought after industry expert, is a regular feature on news channels such as BBC, CNN, CNBC. And not only has she had an incredible professional career, she's also a career mentor to many young professionals through her multiple streams of impact mentoring platform, and is also the founder of I Articulate, an executive coaching platform for public speaking and effective communication delivering both impactful corporate and individual coaching. Rolake, there's so much more I could say, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Obi, and great to be here with you and the listeners. Yes, indeed. And for our listeners and viewers, I'd love them to get to know a little bit more about you. And so I'm going to start off with, with this, just... You know, tell us a little bit about your journey into Mixture, if you could give us a, a short um, overview of that. And then I'd love to hear what you enjoy most about being a leader. Okay, great. Um, <clears throat> I think we could do a whole podcast episode on my journey to Mixture, <laughs> but I, I'll give you the really brief version. I, I think, you know, when people sort of ask me what I do and how I got here, I... You know, I think I have what I would call a multidisciplinary background in the sense that I've worked in so many different contexts. You know, I studied politics and international relations in university. So I was very much getting to, you know, saving the world and changing the world. And I, I really wanted to work in international affairs and international development. And, you know, frankly, that was what I really started doing. You know, I had a couple of internships in Europe and in the UK went and interned in Senegal, in Dakar, worked across Africa, doing sort of conflict and humanitarian work and advocacy work on policy and, and you know, all those sorts of topics. And, you know, I spent many years really, I guess for want of a better term, backpacking across West Africa with a London base. You know, I'd moved to London as a young teenager from Nigeria. But I think after a while, my parents were pretty much like, you need to get a proper job. <laughs> and, uh, and, and because a lot of these internships, funny enough, um, they were mostly uh, supported by stipend, right? You didn't get a full, you know, time paying salary. And the reward, you know, for those who employed you was the experience you gained. And there was a lot of competition, actually. So at a very young stage in life, I think, you know, I learned how to sort of, graft you know through challenges and sort of try and stand out and differentiate myself in the marketplace so that was interesting um, and I think in 2005 I sort of got my first full-time private sector role working as a as an analyst 
sort of bringing to bear all my experience working across Africa for private sector organizations who wanted to go into the continent. So I worked as a risk consultant and analyst, focused mostly on political risk. And I think that was the beginning of my awareness around energy and natural resources. Um, and the fact that I'd grown up in Nigeria where you know, access to electricity was such a challenge, even for a middle-class family. You know, I remember some nights where I would still need to read by candlelight, either because the, the backup generator had broken down or there wasn't enough diesel or there was diesel scarcity. And, and this is me having to do that. And I wasn't from, from a poor family, right? So you can just imagine the scale of challenges we face with infrastructure and energy. So I think I knew from a very young age that I wanted to work in sectors that were strategic to national development. Mm -hmm. um, and I think till this day, you know, my career pursuits, whatever industry have been driven by, how can I contribute to a, a broader and a bigger purpose? Um, and, and so now, after having worked through financial services as the head of energy research and energy and investment banking, I sort of took a break after having a baby in 2019, left investment banking, took almost a year out to pursue what I would call a portfolio career advisory work, consulting, working with boards, and finally then pivoted into housing and infrastructure development. And so today I am the Chief Commercial Officer for Mixta Africa. It's a Pan-African uh, real estate, housing and infrastructure developer. And the whole idea really is to build sustainable communities. Um, so it's, it's a very demanding and challenging role, but I've found it really rewarding. Um, and I think for me, my leadership has really just been driven by impact. And it's really interesting you asked that second question in your opening. Um, I think for me, you know, when people ask me, are you an energy expert? Are you a housing expert? Are you in real estate? I really believe that today I could literally work in the entertainment sector. I'm industry agnostic at this stage in my life. But the main driver for me is, can I make impact in that role? Mm. Um, so it's not really for me at this stage about, you know, specializing again in something, some new era. It's really about bringing together, you know, the diverse range of experiences I've had and ensuring that I solve a problem and I find a way to mobilize people and motivate them to work towards a purpose that's bigger than all ourselves. And, and so that's a big driver of leadership for me. And of course, that comes with all sorts of challenges, which I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into later in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely but thank you for sharing that story and I, I loved your reference early on obviously with your first uh, degree wanting to save the world and a lot of us have that incredible idealism and but but as I hear your story it sounds like that hasn't changed you've just targeted it because you think of some of the basic things whether that's um, housing, whether that's energy, whether that's infrastructure, in a way that is saving the world. Saving right? the world. <laughs> it is, it's just, but it, it's doing it in a really purposeful and, and strategic way. So I, I love the fact that there's that underlying passion and purpose. And when you were talking about reading with candles, <laughs> I had some memories of the lanterns <laughs> that we would use or those moments in boarding school uh uh but yeah it takes me back I, that that <laughs> feels like it's another podcast altogether but it's exciting hearing 
uh, what you're doing. And this idea of, for you uh, as a leader, just really being passionate about solving problems and how do you harness the energy of mm. your people. And you really spoke to my heart when you said just connecting everyone with a purpose that is so much bigger than ourselves. And uh, that's something that's so essential for being able to harness the best of people's uh, energy. You, you alluded to the challenges and the difficulties that come with that. And I'd love to explore that because just before mm. we started recording, we, we talked about this idea that for a lot of people, whether that's peers as leaders or, or young professionals that look up to leaders, it's so easy to think, oh, it's a piece of cake for them. And what they mm. don't see behind the scenes is all of the challenges that you've got to navigate. And so I'd love to go there actually with you just here. So what are some of the challenges that you're having to navigate with this incredible work around housing? And what are some of the pressures that's put on you and how are you overcoming those? Really great question. Um, and it's quite a deep one. Um, the, the first place I will start, I think is with me. Um, if there's a way I could sort of frame it, I would call it the, the challenge of multiple expressions of who I am. And, and let me sort of dissect that a bit. So I think most human beings, you know, 99.9% .9 of us, we are very, very uh, multi-gifted, multi-talented. So yeah. you will find people in this day and age, I mean, look at you, you're a writer, you're running a podcast, clearly an effective communicator, you're a consultant. And I think people often struggle to figure out what do I really want to do in life, right? I may be gifted or talented or skilled in something because I studied it at university and I have years of professional experience. But is that really who I am, what I'm meant to do? And the truth is, with all the really lovely stories I told you about my career evolution, I kind of struggled through that piece for a while. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll give you a very practical example. So I also grew up in a home where music was really highly rated. So my mom was a classical soprano. I started playing piano at a very young age at four. Oh, wow. I did up to grade eight. I still play now classical and jazz piano. And there was a time I thought, you know what, I'm absolutely meant to be a musician. <laughs> you know? And I really should be doing this. And, but at the same time, you know, this energy sector piece is really important to me. But Hangan, I also want to mentor young women. Mm. Um, but I also see a lot of young women who are not confident and need to improve their communication skills. So why don't I set up a coaching business to train them? And then at some point you're sort of <laughs> bombarded on all sides with people telling you you're great at this, why not do this? But you studied this, why waste this degree? And there's this cacophony of voices that come mm. at you. And I think I spent quite a lot of time getting pulled in different directions until I got to the point I had to ask myself, well, okay, who are you truly? What are you really here to do? Mm. Why did you go through, up through this process? And I needed to understand that, first of all, in order to successfully make a pivot. Remember I told you I'd been sort of known as an energy and infrastructure expert. Yeah. And here was I with a great opportunity to make a difference in housing. But the first thing that popped up in my mind, well, what would people say? I've been an energy expert all these years and suddenly I'm going to go into housing. And I just realized, well, okay, it's, it's not about that. 
right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you're drawn here. And the reason I was drawn to housing was not because I'd studied real estate management in uni, but I recognized the skill and impact tackling the housing deficit in Africa or Nigeria could have on the economy. And I had to take the decision at, the mo- at that point in my life that this was the right thing to do. And for me, that was a moment of reckoning. And I've had so many moments of reckoning in my life as a leader where it's almost like your purpose is unfolding daily. And, you know, as someone who suffered a lot from analysis paralysis, where I would literally overthink things, it was pretty obvious to me. And I just needed to accept that I was in a different season and I didn't need to be defined or, or, you know, put in a box by people who felt, well, you're this and you need to go in that direction because I feel I would have missed an opportunity to make a difference in that time. Um, And then, you know, what is really interesting that all my sort of non-executive roles are still heavily focused on the energy sector anyway, uh, because I'd spent years building a track record and expertise. So even if I was working in a different sector now, I could still apply myself in other ways, in in other spaces that I was known in. Um, And I think with leadership, it's really around the challenge of accepting and embracing who you are, but not being so tunnel visioned that you face, you fail to recognize opportunities to make a difference elsewhere. Mm. And, and I think for people who tend to over plan, and I'm not saying planning and visioning and all that is not great. Sometimes you miss opportunities in the moment. Um, opportunities, maybe opportunities to do good, to make a difference, to speak to someone, to mentor them. That's something I've learned to always have my antennas up um, and not just sort of watch the world pass me by. So that was the first thing. And then I think for me, the second thing is really trying to navigate difficult times. So um, how do you scale this business? It's extremely challenging to work in a Pan-African context. You're constantly having to manage stakeholder relationships, whether within your business and externally, you you want people to buy into the vision. You want to carry them along. And I think I've had to build a structure around my life to help me do that. First of all, it's, you know, as a mother and a wife, I've had to create structures in the domestic space that would free me up to do this. And I'm never apologetic about that because, you know, you know, working man, working woman, we need to feed the family. We need to build our lives. The second thing is really valuing the impact and role of mentoring in my life, even at this stage. So Mm. yes, I mentor other people, but I also have mentors and I've had mentors in different seasons, but I've been very intentional about building long-term mutually beneficial relationships because that's the way you you get most from mentoring and then something that's recently helped me especially with decision making really critical decision making is is building a tribe of people Um, and I found that in building a tribe of women who women at a similar stage some older some younger career women business women who sort of help you with your decision-making. It's like a personal advisory board, right? You, you know, we can't sort of go it alone. And, you know, we've actually had situations where there'd be a scenario at work, maybe I'm facing a problem with an employee and myself and my tribal woman, we actually get on a Zoom call and we seek advice from each other. And honestly, those have been absolutely instrumental in helping me navigate difficult times. But 
I think the final thing I would say on this point is, which sort of segues quite nicely into um, this emotional intelligence, is increasingly realize that the only way I can be an effective leader is if I really care about my people, if I truly understand their needs, and if I'm aware about their responses to situations. And, and I think in this role, because I, you know, I have to mobilize resources and teams across various departments, people buy into the vision if they buy into you. Mm. <laughs> and there was a time in my life where I would have you know, strutted into that office you know, with the sort of mantra, well, I'm not here to be liked, I'm here to do a job. Uh, but, <laughs> yes. but and, and you know, sometimes we, and I think that's ego creeping in a bit. And, and I think I've had to humble myself a bit and realize, you know what, there's no point in succeeding and leaving corpses along the way. Yes, you know, I'm performance driven, but I have to remember that people matter. So what are their needs? What are the challenges they're facing in life? How can I help them achieve their goals? Uh, because that's the only way they can help us as a company and executive team achieve the broader corporate vision. Um, so that's been very helpful in navigating challenging times. If people feel that you truly care about them and care about the needs, they will literally go all out for you. Wow, wow, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is so much to unpack and I, I want to come back to that last point because we we my team and I we put out our latest newsletter and one of the things that we talk about is leading with character and I share mm. an example of one of our clients who's got a team in Ukraine obviously we've got the Russia Ukraine war going on there really challenging a climate could have easily given into fear and said, hey, let's just let go of that, move on, uh, but instead decided to walk the talk, live out their values and say, I'm going to mm. support the team, even some of their extended family members. But so I just love that emphasis on caring about people. And I, I want to come back to it because it sounded like there was a switch for you, but just you pulled out some incredible elements. I just want to draw out for our listeners and viewers and that first one that focus on your personal purpose and, and not being afraid to take time out to say actually who am I and what am I about because if I can understand my deeper why that allows me to pivot and I can move into different arenas and one of the things I heard you say again and again is how can I have an impact right how can I make a difference so, so making a difference isn't just about the energy infrastructure, although you clearly still are with the, yeah. your non-exec board roles, but clearly there's this opportunity that still taps into your deeper why and the housing um, market allows you to do that. So I thought that was powerful. And then just this second, that second element of navigating difficult times, I hope people take notes about finding your tribe, not just this massive group, but three, four people that you can just connect with. I've got a group that we, we sort of call ourselves the 5 a.m. club, the <laughs> Mondays, Monday, 5 a.m. for the last I don't know, four or five years now, we, we get together and just chat, support one another, challenge one another, 
bounce ideas off one another. And there are so many things that I know I wouldn't have been able to do without the support of those people in your corner just championing you and and supporting you so I thought that was powerful and loved the reference to the mentors and then this final bit that you talked about just caring for your people and I'm sure so many people will giggle will smirk will laugh when you said hey you know you come into an organization I don't care about whether I'm liked or not I just I've got a job to do and yet that job to do is to be done with people and through exactly. people. So tell tell us a bit about, was there a time that you had a switch? What was that light bulb moment for you that where you realized, okay, I, I've got to deliver, but I'm delivering through people and I've really got to care. So and that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, I think for me, the light bulb moment came quite quickly because in as much as, you know, I got the job, I came into the housing and real estate space, the reality was I was a novice in the industry. Sure. And, but, you know, I was a known leader. So I got to the level of my career. Yes, I could be in executive management. So it was really about mm-hmm. my leadership qualities and my ability to motivate people. But the reality is, in some sense, from an industry perspective, I was sort of going back to basics. I needed to learn again. And I remember in the months leading up to starting the role, I'd had a couple of leadership coaching sessions with my um, mentor, one of my mentors. And she had told me that, look, well, okay, you need to do the work. You need to do the groundwork. You need to go into the industry, understand the sector, understand, you know, what the key drivers were, who the policymakers were in the public sector. And I remember, I think it was in the first three months of starting, we had launched this new project. And, you know, there were a few mistakes in my understanding of how to take this project to market. And I think those moments were humbling uh, because Mm. you quickly realize, you know, there are people who've been in this space long before you and who have expertise that you need to rely on both within Mm. and outside your firm and I think it was a light bulb moment it was one of those like you know what you you just need to take the time pay attention develop an attitude and mindset of curiosity but if Mm. people are going to support and help you come up to speed faster then you kind of need to build a relationship with them Uh, You just don't go in and use people for for your goals or ambitions and and sort of Mm. leave them dry. So I was almost forced to build those relationships. Mm -hmm. And because I joined in August 2020, I mean, that was the tail end of the first lockdown we had in Nigeria uh, during COVID. Mm -hmm. I think there were a couple of people who did fall ill. We sort of had the second wave. And I remember someone on my team felt really, really ill. Um, it was quite serious to the point where he had to have um, a kidney dialysis. Um, and we didn't realize that he had an underlying health challenge. And he was such an instrumental person in the commercial team insofar as, you know, a, a graphics guru. And it suddenly dawned on me, you know, the first thought was, you know, who is going to do this going forward? But I just thought to myself, here is a young chap in his late 20s. What about his family? How do they feel? And it was just this sudden light bulb, you know, we need to rally help and support for this young man. He needs to be well, he needs to be better. And even when you're better, you know, take your time to come back into the office, 
will find a way to navigate and manage and create a structure around you that allows you some flexibility to continue to work from home while you recover. And I think those are moments that kind of <laughs> make you realize, you know, in my in my language, Yoruba, which is a language spoken in Southwestern Nigeria and other parts of, of West Africa, there's a saying, and literally translated, it means people are the cloth you wear. Wow. Um, and, and so it, it's almost like in order to fulfill that purpose or do that impact, people are the single most important driver of whatever you will achieve in life, right? They either help you along the way, they open doors for you, they speak for you in rooms that you're not even in, <laughs> you know, they advocate on you, they, they make you as a leader look better most times they're usually smarter than you as a leader <laughs> and, and that's a good thing right and and so for me i this has been the biggest learning curve for me in terms of leadership because it's a new industry a new role um, in a new environment that's pan-african i mean it was the best learning curve that i could have had at this point in my life and i think all I keep thinking about is people, people. And I've become, I've become known internally as a bit of a, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say radical insofar as, and I can tell you so many stories uh, about how I try and advocate for people. And sometimes I take it far to the extreme, but that's because I feel like I'm trying to catch up of years on years and years of just performance driven work. So... Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Th thanks for sharing that. I, I got to, my wife is Yoruba, so I think she'll be impressed if I could take this word <laughs> back to her. So could you just yes. say that again? What What was it? It says, Enion. 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 Yeah, E-N-I-Y-N, Lasho, L-apostrophe-A-S-O. Lasho, Enion, Lasho. Yes. In your lash, your people are the cloth you wear. Yes. Listeners and viewers, there you go. That's your Yoruba word <laughs> of the day. The day. But, but not just um, a Yoruba word, but, but this incredible phrase for you to take with you as a leader. People are the cloth you wear. Um, yes. There's, I, I'm sure so many, you probably heard this as well, that famous saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much, how much you, you care. care and as a leader the, the the number of times that I hear especially senior execs talk about wanting to win the hearts and minds of our people and how do we do that and and their surveys and and all sorts <laughs> of action plans and yet just to take this on recognize that people are the cloth you wear in Absolutely. your, your lasho. I'll have to practice that one. It's um, okay. <laughs> uh, that that's really, really powerful. Uh, really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And it, it something you mentioned earlier on that really speaks to this is um, how our ego as leaders can get in in the way and and. Having worked with so many leaders around the world, it, I see two camps. You've got leaders who are ego-driven and it's very much about them and, hey, my empire, what can I achieve? And, and then 
leaders who are service driven, who are really about how do we serve people? How do we serve the stakeholders? And, and mm. it, with what you're describing there, it's very much that that second camp, which unleashes more of your own energy and the energy of your people. So um, so even though you're no longer specifically in the energy industry, it sounds like you become an advocate for the energy of people. <laughs> I like that. It's uh, a good one. Um, so that that is incredible. I, I'd love to just come back to some of the personal um, elements for mm. you because you know you talked about the challenges and navigating difficult times and and there's mentors and your tribe and I, one thing that i've over the years uh, just my own experiences coaching training I, I discovered this truth that when life squeezes you and the pressure is on what you're like on the inside will come out mm. and i'd just like to hear from your own experience what what are some of the habits that you've had to develop or integrate into your life to be resilient in okay. those difficult moments um, mm. well I, I think that the first habit and, and this is something that my husband now is so big on we always talk about the mindset um, we always have all these philosophical conversations about, you know, as soon as I, there's a problem that pops up and I go into usual panic mode, <laughs> he always finds a way to bring me back to the core. And, and, you know, one of the things he always says is, well, I can just look at the problem from a different perspective. Um, it's an, actually an opportunity to do something. So he's always going straight into solution mode. Yeah. Uh, which for me can be sometimes a bit unnerving because I just sort of want to drag things out and talk them through. But I think that the biggest habit I have developed, and I think I will be frank, that's by virtue of meeting him uh, when we started our relationship, is just this ability to focus on the positive. And it's, it's, it's a way of kind of reorienting your, your mind. It's, you know, you shift, not that you ignore the challenge, or what is obviously before you but it's a way of seeing this yes there's a crack in the glass but it could be an opportunity to repair the entire glass and make it look more beautiful right mm, and awesome. and yeah. so the first work has to start up here and so I've kind of developed this habit of anytime there's an issue I go back to okay how can I look at this differently is this an opportunity is, is there something that I meant to learn out of this. The second one is, I think writing things down has really helped me. And I learned this much longer before I met him. And I think I can be open with your viewers. So I, you know, I've been through a first marriage where I was divorced and, you know, got married really young in the UK, divorced within four and a half years. And it was a very devastating time in my life where I felt the rug had literally been pulled from under me. Mm. And I remember one of the things that really helped me get through that season was writing how I felt about a situation. Mm. I can be quite emotive. You know, I wear my heart in my sleeve. I'm very impulsive and spontaneous. And that's something I've had to manage. And actually writing my thoughts and feelings down or even practically writing the steps I need to take to achieve something mm. has become actually instrumental. 
And then I would say third, realizing that I, as an individual, I don't have all the answers and solutions. And I think I got to the place in my life now that for very, very big, important decisions, I will always have someone as a sounding board that is not a member of my immediate family. Wow. And, and, that, and it may mean I don't end up going with their suggestion or their recommendation, mm-hmm. but it means that at least I'm giving myself an opportunity to think through all the issues before jumping. Um, and so that practically has, has worked for me as well. I mean, I could sort of talk about a number of other ways um, you know, I, I guess maybe a last resort is literally asking for a sign. <laughs> you know, should I, do this? should I do this or should I not? But again, no. you know, the thing is, I think as human beings, that leaders, there, I, I always say when I coach public speaking that you should always have eighty percent preparation and twenty percent perspiration, which should be the the inspiration part of this. So it's like going into a job interview, you prepare, you answer fake questions, you do your research, but there's a part of it that you have to live to inspiration. You'll get asked a question on the spur of the moment, sure. which you haven't anticipated. And sort of being intuitive and following your gut instinct in that moment will go a long mm. way. So when it comes to just facing the situation, Mine, at the end of the day, I'm still going to put one foot in front of the other. And in just working and doing and going out every day, hopefully I will discover the solution along the way. Mm. Um, So I I think there's a bit of balance because leadership is also about inspiring people. But you also need strategy. You need an action plan. You you need it to be time bound. So we want to deliver a 2000 home project in Senegal. We need an action plan. We need to be time bound. We need KPIs. Mm -hmm. But we also have to remember that ideas can come to us on the spur of the moment. Um, How open are we and how flexible are we? It could be just something a junior member of staff says to you and it triggers off a light bulb uh, uh, moment in your head. So I think those things have helped. I would like to think I'm quite a structured person, a structured leader, but because I also have this creative side, I've learned that there's a place in decision-making for inspiration. And we all need to be open to that human gut instinct, you know, whether it's hiring people, making a decision to enter a new market, you know, and and there's so many scenarios we could apply that principle in across our lives. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Wow, thank you for sharing those and and some incredibly practical tips as well that regardless of the industry your background even level of leadership that you can apply I love the emphasis on the mindset it's I I talk a lot about leading from the inside out and really being in tune with an optimistic way of thinking rather than Mm. seeing challenges just as as that that's it it's armageddon the world's about to end it's what are the opportunities in those and writing things down is amazing because i know what it's like if i start over analyzing and and um catastrophizing and it's all in my head then it really gets messy and clogged up but as soon as i put it down on paper i find that i'm calmer and able to think a little bit more objectively um, and then again, that focus on not having all the answers and, and allowing for that inspiration. Some of, 
I mean, we talk about the ideas that we have in the shower, right? I mean, no one plans, <laughs> no one goes in and says, that's it, idea time. No, you're just relaxing. And then all of a sudden, whoa, hey, this is an incredible idea. So um, that's amazing. Our time is up. I feel like we could have gone for ages, but I'm gonna wrap up with this question um, for you. And then we close. If you could, you've clearly had incredible experiences. You've learned a lot along the way. Uh, you have matured as a leader, as a person. If you could chat with your younger self, just as you were beginning your leadership journey, what advice, what one piece of advice would you give to the younger Roleke? Am I restricted to just one? <laughs> you can, yeah, go for because it. I, I mean. feel like I have a ton of advice. Um, I think the first one, it's, it's going to sound very cliche, it's just seizing opportunities that come and I, I'm thinking of things that were presented to me at the time that I felt maybe I'm too young and I'm not ready for this and I didn't seize it. And it's going to actually surprise you that it actually has to do with the area of investing and saving for the future from a very early on age. Um, wow. This, again, is like a whole nother podcast topic. Um, it, it's a bit of a diversion maybe from our core topic. But I think as a young person... In my early teens, I had a real opportunity to start to build sustainable wealth from a young age. Mm. And it's, it's something that I have a greater sense of awareness about now. Mm. And I'm keen on instilling in my children. But mm. that for me was key that you're never too young to start in terms of saving and investing. Very, yeah. very critical. And I think we need a lot more financial literacy in this day and age for our young people. Uh, but the second one, I think, would really be open to change, openness to change, and realizing that your purpose and your, your purpose and your skills are completely, they, they don't have to be the same thing. You know, you said your purpose is your why. So your skills are those things that really just prepare you sure. for your purpose. And I had a series of opportunities to do so many other things, but I was quite focused on the energy peers, on international affairs, but I, I didn't realize that those were really just a means to an end. Sure. I had really just been called to make a difference and to make mm. impact. And so perhaps if I'd maybe done some other disciplines or things like that, I would have understood that maybe my title or role were very different to my purpose. My purpose mm. is a why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And all those other things are just the assets and the resources you need to thrive in your purpose. So I definitely think our education system, particularly in the UK, uh, should not be so restrictive at an early stage, which is why I love the US system. And I think young people should try their hands at a lot of different things. Um, and if there's a way parents, the teachers, and, and those in education to help young people just broaden their horizons, you know, experiment with different expressions of who they are at an earlier stage, I, I think it really stands them in good stead for life. Um, so those would be some of the things I would say. And then finally, just to breathe. The young Rolake was very panicky, <laughs> anxious about <laughs> life. And somehow it always almost works out well in the end. <laughs> oh, wow. Love it. 
breathe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can see why you are incredibly passionate about working with young people. Lots of uh, ideas that you're keen to share. And those are incredible. I, I've got three boys and, and my older boy has started asking me about NFTs and investing and absolutely think it's a, a great uh, tip for young people and, and young leaders being open to change and breathing and just taking it easy. Things will unfold um, over time. Uh, Rolake, it has been wonderful speaking to you. I feel that there's going to be a part two, so it won't just be um, BBC and CNBC and <laughs> CNN that will have you back. The leading from your pop core podcast will have you back as well. But thank you so much for coming uh, to all our listeners and viewers. I, I hope you enjoyed the show. We're taking notes, uh, lots of incredible insights to help you in your leadership. And remember that if you want to be a courageous and resilient leader, if you want to live life on purpose and with purpose, then it starts from the inside out. Have a great day and see you on the next show. And thank you, Rolike, once again for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.